It's a great comfort to know that God knows us. He knows that we are people that are living in this fallen world. We are people that are not perfect by any stretch of any imagination. So much so that he gave his son to die for us, to give us the chance of eternal redemption, to become more like his son as days go by. And he knows from Psalm 103 and verse 14, it reads, He knows our frame, and he remembers that we are but dust. It's a comfort to know that God knows that we're not perfect people, Sometimes we have weakness, sometimes we feel down, we feel discouraged. And if you're not a person that feels down or discouraged right now, it could be in the near future that you may feel that way. What I want to do this morning is go to a text that I love very much in 1 Kings chapter 19. The entirety of this chapter really talks about a person that we hold up in our mind as a hero because he is a hero. And yet, he is a person that's built of dust like us. He goes through difficulty, he goes through discouragement, he goes through depression, and he is someone that we can look at this morning and gain some insight and some wisdom from, and most importantly, learn about how God feels about us even when we don't feel good about ourselves. This morning in 1 Kings 19, I want to go there together and give you a small background as to what we're finding here in this chapter from the immediate context. Hopefully you've heard of the prophet named Elijah before. If you were there for our Bible class a few minutes ago, I know you've heard the name at least once, right? Elijah is a great prophet of God. A prophet was someone who, especially in the Old Testament, was given the Spirit of God and was able to write or to speak or to preach God's message. And to be that kind of person, you have to be built a little bit differently. You have to be someone who is sensitive to the concerns and the cares and the needs of the people to whom you're speaking, but also you're not willing to compromise or water down the message God has given you to give to the people. So in 1 Kings chapter 18, the following passages. We learn about Elijah, and he's trying to get the nation of Israel to wake up to the reality of where they are in relation to God's word. They are not doing well. This is not the high time, the high water mark of King David when David is doing well as a king. He has the prophets like Samuel around him for a certain time, speaking the word of God, and, and they're working hand in hand with God and his word for God's glory in the nation of Israel. That's not this time. That was back before. Here what you have is a king named Ahab, who was not a good king. He didn't care about God's word, didn't care about his worship being acceptable. He just wanted to make the people happy, and especially make his wife, the queen, Jezebel, happy. And so we have Elijah sent to that king and to that nation in that particular time when they're worshiping a god named Baal, who was very popular in the Canaanite territory in which they lived. And there was a great showdown in chapter 18 between God and Elijah and the prophets and priests of Baal and that so-called God. Now the long story short version is uh, Elijah stacked the deck against God and covered a sacrifice of burnt offering with water and water and water, and God still sent fire down to consume that offering to prove once and for all to all the witnesses that were there 
that God is indeed God and Baal is nothing. Following that great show, that great spectacle that God is there and Baal is not, most of the, pre, uh, the priests and prophets of Baal were slain. And we find that there should be a great restoration of the worship of Jehovah God, the Israelite God, following that particular incident. But instead of that, something strange happens. And it's only strange because of how great and how fearless and how dynamic Elijah was in that great confrontation. Over in chapter 1 of, uh, chapter 19, verse 1, rather, Ahab, the king of Israel, told Jezebel, his wife, the queen, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. A death threat is what he received from the queen of Israel named Jezebel. Now you might imagine that Elijah, being Elijah, just had a great showdown, a confrontation against all the priests and prophets of Baal, killed them with the sword to prove that Jehovah God was the one that redeemed them from Egypt, that brought them to that promised land, had sent them prophets and messages by droughts and famines, that surely they should wake up to the reality of their spiritual condition. And Elijah receiving a death threat from the queen of Israel should have not feared that death threat whatsoever, knowing that he had God with him. That's what we think we should expect from a man like Elijah. Again, he remembers our frame and that we are but dust. If we keep reading here in verse 3, then he was afraid. He wasn't afraid of Baal. He wasn't afraid of the prophets and priests of Baal. He wasn't even afraid of Ahab, the king of Israel, who wasn't doing good in the eyes of the Lord. But he was afraid at this message from the queen. He arose, verse 3, and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left, left his servant there. So in the map, if you have a map in your Bible or if you have a digital one available to you, you might notice that there's somewhere around Jerusalem when the conversation begins. And then Beersheba is all the way at the southern border of Israel in this ancient Palestinian region. And so what we find is that Elijah literally runs for his life to the outskirts of Israel, which is an odd thing for him to do. Again, this great triumphant, victorious prophet of God speaking up and showing up and proving to all the people that God is in control, he received receives one negative, discouraging remark from the queen and runs for his life. And while he's in Beersheba, he left his servant there. Verse 4, but he himself, indicating he was now isolating himself from the people that knew him best, he went a day's journey into the wilderness 
and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It isn't enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, because I am no better than my father's. Again, an interesting text, because that's not what we expect to hear from a man of God. A God who is filled, a guy who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and who is showing up for this great showdown the previous chapter, now receives this message from Jezebel, goes off by himself into the middle of nowhere, we might say, sits down under a tree and prays to God that God might take his life from him. Now, logically and practically, if he really wanted his life to end, all he had to do was stay near Jezebel, right? Jezebel was going to try to send someone to kill him. So if he really wanted to die, then he just had to stay where the assassin would be. But instead, he goes to the middle of nowhere and opens up to God more about what he's feeling than what he really wants. Have you ever been in a moment where it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for you to feel the way you feel, but you feel it anyway? If you've not been there, tell me your secret. <laughs> he's here thinking about his life, thinking about what he's accomplished, thinking about his position in the, the hierarchy socially of Israel, and he just says, Lord, it's enough. Take my life. I am no better than my father's, which just gives you a huge clue as to what he's thinking about. He's saying, I'm making no more impact or difference than any one of my forefathers did. I'm no one special. I'm just a person who has failed this revolution spiritually of Israel once again. Verse 5, he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, a messenger or angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. God cared so much for Elijah as an individual that the Lord himself sent a personal messenger or angel to go and try to comfort Elijah. Y'all with me? It's a huge moment. We don't see it very often. We see big moments in which the nation is redeemed and saved from slavery in Egypt and they're brought through the Red Sea and they're led to the promised land. Rarely do we see God taking a personal individual level of notice of one of his guys and sending a messenger to him for one specific purpose. And here's the purpose, arise and eat. Verse 6, he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. Have you ever fought the need to get out of your bed in the morning? Or in the afternoon? Or in the evening? They ever felt so down that you can't even bring yourself to stand up? 
If you've ever been there, someone that cares about you, that loves you, may have tried to entice you to get up a little bit by saying, hey, let's get something to eat. There's breakfast ready for you, or there's lunch ready for you, or there's dinner ready for you. Whenever you want to get out of bed and get moving, there's food. Ever had that happen to you? It's happened to me. <laughs> I've had days where it's hard to get out of bed, and then someone that I love comes to me and says, hey, we got some food if you want to get up. That's God in this moment showing up for Elijah and saying, hey, I know how hard it is for you right now. I know what you've asked of me, and you don't really mean that. But I know how you're feeling. Hey, there's some food for you, if that would make you feel better. Do you know what it means to be hangry? <laughs> you're hungry, and you're so hungry that you're a little angry. I'm never that way. <laughs> Here's Elijah. He's going through something emotional. And it's a heavy burden for a guy that was who he was in the previous chapter. He's been through a lot. And he's feeling it right now. And God showed up and said, hey, listen, get up. Let's have a meal together. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat. And I love this because the journey is too great for you. That's God saying through a messenger, listen, I know what you just went through, and that's not easy. You were alone, standing against the priests and the prophets of Baal. You've been through a lot. The journey's too great for you. I know what you're going through. Here's a meal. And you think, Elijah's just going through a moment. He's just having an off day. We all have off days every now and again. The next day comes and we're a little bit better, right? Well, Elijah should have woken up the next day and said, you know what, Lord, thank you for being patient with me, for trying to understand what I'm going through, knowing that it's so tough being in this world and having people that don't respect you and a king that doesn't do what you want and you have this great nation that should love you but they're being led astray by the king and all the followers and it's been a lot I know it's been heavy it's been a lot I'm sorry I felt the way I felt but hey we're doing better now and then we keep reading in verse 8 he arose he ate and he drank well that's good and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Oreb, the Mount of God. And you might imagine, well, okay, he's going to the place where God first revealed himself to Moses. He's getting reconnected, recharged, re-energized to be able to go back and do the work of God. He's on the right track. That's, that's all good. And then verse 9. And then he came to a cave. And lodged in it. Well, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been depressed before, a place that you want to go to that's not the best for you is a really, really dark place. I know when I've gone through moments of depression and discouragement, all I really want to do is just stay in bed, shut the blinds, close the curtains, close the doors, and just sit in darkness and just stay there until I've gone past that moment. Sometimes it's just a couple minutes. 
Sometimes it's a couple days. Sometimes it's been a lot longer than that. Now, I'm designed, I'm built that way. I have that built within me to where that's my tendency. The thing that you don't want to do is if you're coming off the, the tail end of depression is to go into a deep, dark cave. But that's what Elijah did. And behold, verse 9, part B, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love that, because if you just read the emotion in there, this is God, no longer just a messenger, but God himself, speaking to Elijah. He knows the journey has been too great for him, and he gave him a pass, if you will. He said, I know what you feel. I know you're going through it. I've given you food. I've given you water. You should be getting back to it. And God sees him in a dark cave, and the question is not, why are you here? The question is, what are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on? He says, this is Elijah speaking, verse 10, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Now that word jealous there, it's not the best rendering of that word. You might find it elsewhere in the English as the Lord is jealous for his people. It's more of the idea of zealous, um, he loves him and him alone. The idea of this jealousy in a relationship, meaning that I have a wife, my wife has me, and we are one for another. That's the kind of jealousy talking about here. So he's saying, I've been very jealous or zealous for the Lord. He says, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and here's a huge clue as to what Elijah's thinking and feeling. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He feels like he is the only one in the world that is going through this particular struggle. This may not hit home for you if you're not built like me. But sometimes I love to throw myself a pity party. <laughs> feels so good. It's not healthy, but it feels so good. I am down. I am discouraged. I am in my dark cave of a bedroom. And I am just thinking no one knows what it feels like to feel how I feel right now. No one on earth has ever felt the way I feel. And it feels so good to say that. And Elijah was feeling it and saying it too. Lord, I'm the only one in the entire world who loves you as much as I do. No one else does. The people that are against me, my enemies, they're trying to kill me because of how much I love you. Which I respect you. How you're the only one, only God in my life. They throw down your altars. They killed your prophets. I'm the only one left. It's just me. That great rumination and introspection has led Elijah to a cave when he already feels down. And then you might imagine God, of all things and all people, to be the one to say, you need to wake up. 
just snap out of it. Heard that once or twice in my life. Just get over it. We have a work to do, but no, that's not how God reacts. Because he remembers our frame and that we are but just dust. Verse 11, God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Okay, you love me so much, you think you're the only one obeying my will. Present yourself before me. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. God showed up, he walked right by, and there was a cacophony of huge, scary sounds that broke apart the rocks near where Elijah stood. Listen to this next clause. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. God showed up, and even the earth itself quaked and shook and rumbled before Elijah. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, the heat, feeling the light of this great fiery inferno came upon Elijah, and the Lord was not in the fire. And then finally, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, the ESV says, a still small voice, other translations say. What's the meaning of this? Well, I got an idea. And the idea might be something like this. Elijah's feeling like he's the only one in Israel who loves him, trying to do right by him. And because of that, he has spiraled and spiraled and spiraled all the way into a deep, dark cave saying, Lord, I'm the only one. And God shows up and says, listen, I've got a great storm, I've got an earthquake, and I've got a blazing inferno, and that's not how I operate. But the Lord was operating by a small, quiet whisper, a single voice among a multitude of loud noises. You got the nation of Israel, and they're worshiping Baal, they're forgetting God, and then he sends a single guy named Elijah to go and revolutionize their relationship with their creator. He didn't operate by a raging storm or the quaking earth or a blazing inferno. God operated by a still, small, quiet voice speaking the truth. And you'd think that would encourage Elijah. You'd think it would. Because if I were there, feeling the way he felt, saying, Lord, take my life from me. It is too much. I am no better than my ancestors. I'm the only one that loves you. They're trying to tear down your altars and kill your prophets. And I'm the only one doing what you want me to do. If I'm feeling that way, 
if God showed up and gave me the information, that's how I operate. It's by the multitudes. I operate by one still, small voice talking about the truth that might be encouraging. Let's see how Elijah reacted. You might guess it. Verse 13, Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his cloak, went out, and stood at the entrance of the cave. In other words, in modern vernacular, he put on his hoodie. He put the hoodie all the way up. He pulled those drawstrings as far as he could till he was just a little bit of a nose and eyeball sticking out. And he stood there at the entrance of that cave just thinking about stuff. <laughs> Never been there. <laughs> and behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and broken down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Okay, so that didn't help at all. <laughs> God tried. He's still being hard-headed and stubborn and feeling the way he's feeling. And so, what does God do? He has to turn this ship around somehow. He tried giving him a meal tried giving him water, tried to encourage him by telling him how he operates and what a good job he's doing by being that quiet whisper of a voice among the loud noises of a nation rebelling against God. What's the solution then? Well, verse 15, the Lord said, go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you're going to anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Japhat of Abel Moelah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. What does God do to turn his attitude around? Well, it seems like encouraging him by revealing how important he is didn't do the trick at all. So instead, what God does is says, you know what? Okay, enough of this. You've got a job to do. Here is your mission. You go and anoint this guy king. You go anoint this guy king, because that's what prophets do. And you go and find this, guy, this kid named Elisha. He's going to take your place. Now, I love that because God was patient with him. He cared for him. He was long-suffering with him. He tried to encourage him. But at the end of the day, what Elisha needed wasn't food. It wasn't water. It really even wasn't encouragement about how important he was. What Elijah needed was a mission, a job to do. Do you relate to that at all? Sometimes it's important for us to know when we are in that cave in our own lives. People are being patient with us. They try to encourage us. They try to feed us, try to give us water, what we need biologically and physically. At the end of us feeling that way about ourselves, we need to kind of expand our scope of what's going on in our life, in our world. 
Do you know one of the most recommended ways to pull yourself out of a depressive state? Do something good for others. Besides, make sure your diet's all right. Make sure you're hydrated. Make sure your thinking is clear. The next step is, guess what? Do something good for somebody else. God made sure his diet was all right. Made sure he was hydrated. Made sure his thinking was clear. And then said, go out there and do your job. Go take care of people. Go anoint kings. That's what prophets do. And then go find this kid named Elisha. You need someone to help you because you're going to train him to take your place when you leave this earth. And for us to know what our mission is, to go make disciples of the whole world, to know that there is a generation coming up behind us that we have to teach and encourage and inspire and charge them with the mission God gave us, that's a huge motivator. You, start, you stop thinking about the I, even I, only when you're focused on doing your job that involve other people. It's not being harsh, that's being a, a real with you. Sometimes you do feel like I, even I, only am the one that matters, and then you realize, okay, our job is bigger than that. It's not about me, it's about, it's about denying myself, taking up my cross, and following him. Keep reading here in the text. Verse 17. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet, and here's a, a small bit of information that Elijah was not seeing. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knee that have not bowed to Baal, in every mouth that has not kissed him. By the way, you think you're the only one I'm believing to be faithful in the entire nation of Israel? There's 7,000 people left. Not a huge number, but not just one either. He departed from there, found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. A huge symbolic gesture of, hey, you're coming after me. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. He said, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, took the yoke of oxen, and sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. He arose and went after Elijah, and guess what he did? He assisted him. Now I love this text so much because it shows us that our Bible heroes, with one very clear exception, are people just like us. They are people that do extraordinary things in the name of our God. That's why they're our heroes after all. But they're also people just like us who after doing great and magnificent things for God in his name and glory, sometimes get depressed. <laughs> they just don't feel it every single day. And I love the fact that the God that revealed 
this to us in this particular chapter revealed himself to Elijah, spoke kindly to him, tried to take care of his needs, tried to show him the truth and to encourage him by that truth, at the very end said, listen, I get it. The journey is too great for you, but we have work to do. Let's get back to it. And folks, if you've ever felt that way before, we can be so hard on ourselves sometimes, thinking that we're not perfect, that we don't do enough, we don't pray enough, we don't talk enough, and we're so hard on ourselves. But when we're hard on ourselves, like Elijah was being here, God wasn't hard with us, he was with us. And so for me and for you, if you don't feel this way now, it might be around the corner for you or someone that you love and care about. When that spiral hits, just try to remember, God is with you, even if you don't feel him right next to you. This message is yours this morning. Hopefully it's been somewhat of encouragement to you. I remember the first time I ever heard this text presented in such a way, it was a huge encouragement. It showed me I wasn't alone. Nothing was wrong with me. I wasn't broken. I was just a person who had gone through a lot. And God knows that I went through a lot. And he was with me no matter how I felt in that particular moment. The most important news that we have is not just that God knows we're human, but he knows that we're so human, he provided a way of salvation for each and every one of us. The idea of the joy that we're going to have being with him for eternity trumps how we feel momentarily in this life. It shows us the way to heaven is through his son, that he loved us so much he gave that son to die on the cross to save us from our sins. If anyone this morning has a need to respond to the invitation, maybe you've not achieved being in Christ. Maybe you're someone who's in Christ, but you're struggling. Something sinful in your life is trying to draw you away and pull you away from living faithfully. Or maybe you're someone who's trying to walk in the light, but you just are having a down day, a down week, a down month, a down year. Know that we're here for you. We love you. We care about you. If you need a meal, we got some good cooks here. Need some water? We can provide that for you as well. If you need a little kick in the behind to get motivated, we're also good at that. If we can help you at all this morning, respond by coming forward as we stand and we sing.